Hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. And this is our last show for the year 2021. And I have a wonderful guest joining us for this Thursday show. We have a great in-studio audience ready to ask questions. And we also have a wonderful guest joining us, Congressman Louis Gohmert, who's also now a candidate. <laughs> They love him. Uh, a candidate for Texas Attorney General. I want to make uh, three uh, in announcements before we launch in this interview. Uh, one is I want to take the opportunity to thank the staff here at Real News PR. Real News Communication Network, the place where I do this show. I'm so grateful for every one of them. People stepping in, my producer, people step in as producer, working last minute to get things in order. So great thanks to them all year for helping out in the show so very much. The second thing is that we've had on this Thursday show, it's been, we launched it this year, this Thursday members-only show. We've had an in-studio audience every week, great guests joining us. We're changing things up, though, on America Can We Talk. And I want to just briefly tell you that in the new year, our Thursday shows will still have an in-studio audience, but we will not have uh, it from members only because the Thursday guests we get are so good. It's one of the main emails and kind of complaint emails I get is I want to see your Thursday show. So next year, all the shows will be available to everyone live as this show is today. We're adding some new benefits. So for members, you'll all be getting an email from me explaining what we're doing in the new year. We've got some great things planned to thank those of you who support this show by joining America. Kimmy Talk. And even this last day of 2021 from my show, you can join America Kimmy Talk if you have not. You go to our website, americacommittalk.org, and at that page, you can just find members, hit the join button, and off you go. Your membership is for one year, it's $50 a year. It's the price of a nice dinner off for two people, and it's a really big help to our show if you join the show. So consider doing that, and there will be wonderful benefits for members. The third point I want to make, and then we'll turn and talk to Congressman Louis Gomert is this. If you listen to my show very often, you know that I am deeply concerned, as are millions and millions of Americans, about what direction our country is headed. They're concerned about the people who hold power in Washington, D.C. Uh, I often say there is no more Democrat Party. There is uh, the Republican Party, and they're not always online with conservative principles. But you really have a radical leftist element that now controls po uh, politics in Washington, D.C. We're watching growing exercise of power out of Washington. Washington. And the reason I'm saying this at this moment is because it's a kickoff point for our interview today with Congressman Gohmert. It matters more than ever for people who are choosing their candidates at state level. It matters who your governor is, your lieutenant governor, your attorney general, your state representatives, your state senators, your state level, uh, all sorts of positions because the states are going to have to be the ones the next two years to stand up against what is coming out of Washington. We're watching growing power with respect to what they do about COVID, COVID passports, COVID, uh, I mean, rules about whether or not you can uh, get on airplanes appear to be coming soon. I want to urge you to think about how much power the states have under the U.S. Constitution if they decide to exert it. So more than ever, I, I mean, every political race matters, and it matters to pay attention to the candidates, their backgrounds, what they brought, what they bring to the table, but it matters really, and you're thinking about what's going to happen in this to this country, 2022 up until the elections of 2024 and perhaps beyond. How are we going to hold on to freedom in America? It matters who you choose at the state levels. And so I am saying this as we begin this interview with Congressman Gohmert. I'll be saying it a lot more in the new year to every candidate we have on this show because I want to hear 
And I want to know, are the people you're looking at voting for, are they going to be strong enough and determined enough to stand up and defend freedom in America? It could not be more important in this election cycle. So with that, I want to introduce Congressman Louis Gohmert. If you watch his show very often, you know he's been on uh, numerous times. Uh, he represents, I always thought it was somehow symbolic, he represents uh, Congressional District 1 in Texas, CD1, like the most important district, not really. But anyway, uh, he's been in Congress a long time. And I will tell you that people uh, in Texas, if you ask people who are your, if you ask serious conservatives, you know, who do you look to in Congress uh, to speak the conservative message, to speak the truth about what's happening in Washington, D.C., Congressman Louis Gormert will be on everyone's short list. He's, he's been a very a reliable conservative uh, in Congress for many years. And in fact, as he announced recently, he's going to be running for Texas Attorney General. I think there are some people thinking, oh, no, we need him in Congress. So I want to talk about his background briefly and then launch into I have a list of questions ready. But just so you know about his background, the attorney general in Texas and in every state has massive power and authority to determine not just what gets prosecuted, but how the legislature shapes laws, the input given to the legislature, the, the bully pulpit of being able to speak for the state. And so, and, and so Congressman Gohmert, uh, before being Congressman Gohmert, was actually just Justice Gohmert, Judge Gohmert. Um, I want to tell you briefly about his background. He's won all sorts of awards for being in his time in Congress. I'll just tell you one, uh, the Endowment for Middle East Truth, uh, Speaker of the Truth Award. Uh, he's won Freedom Works. Freedom Fighter Award. These are conservative groups thanking him for his work. But prior to that, prior to his time in Congress, um, he wasn't a, uh, worked as an attorney. He is was a um, he has undergraduate degree at Texas A&M, uh, and then he went on to law school, um, and he graduated from Baylor Law School. He was class president there, too. He was He's kind of elected class president everywhere he goes, to summarize. Everywhere he goes, they choose him as class president, to summarize. Um, but, but prior to that, he also served three terms as a district judge in Smith County, Texas, so he served as a judge in the courtroom, uh, and he's later appointed by, the, by Texas Governor Rick Perry to complete a term as a chief justice of the 12th Court of the Appeal. So he's had experience uh, as a trial judge, as an appellate court judge, and now running for uh, the highest legal seat in the state of Texas, Texas Attorney General. Please again, let's welcome Congressman Louis Gohmert. Thank you. Okay, I'm just going to jump right in. Number one, we are watching an avalanche of lawlessness in America, and I do really do mean that and not hyperbolically. Um, one example is a federal uh, government overreach, or in my view, overreach on vaccine mandates and the idea of uh, the um, message coming there may be limits on the rights of people to open the business, to work, vaccine passports and all that. Um, how much can the Attorney General of Texas do to stand up against federal mandates? Do, do you have a, a way, a role as Attorney General of standing up against federal tyranny? Great question. Thank you. And uh, you certainly have a role. And in fact, I would have acted very quickly on things like the border. Uh, taking actions that haven't been taken yet. Uh, I would have t acted more quickly about like uh, the gender transition surgeries and those kind of things. And in fact, uh, the AG, current AG was asked for an opinion uh, back many months ago about was it lawful or was it child abuse? And the state agency involved said, we'll do follow whatever the attorney general said. He came back with an opinion that was so vague and nebulous 
uh, it really didn't say anything. You can read for yourself. But uh, there's a lot of actions the attorney general can take. For example, on the border, uh, yes, I'm familiar with the Supreme Court decision in uh, the Arizona case said state and local government cannot enforce immigration laws, but they can enforce local and state laws. Um, and our governor has more recently said, you know, we're going to start enforcing trespass. Well, we could have been doing that all along. A good attorney general would have given an opinion on that along those lines, whether it's asked for or not, and let the governor know, hey, we can enforce state law and local law. In fact, several years ago, I've spent so much time on the border, um, there's a park down, a local park, down called Anseldus Park, just south of, a uh, little southwest of McAllen. And I was down there just observing one day, and there were people who would pay somebody uh, to take them on a jet ski from the Mexican park across the Rio Grande, run them over, dump them off real quick. And uh, there was a constable that had arrested, the. there were four that day, and later I went over and quietly said, look, I'm thrilled you're enforcing the law, but after the Arizona decision, uh, what are you arresting them for? And he said, did you pay $4 to get in the park? And I said, yes. He said, they didn't. They're trespassing. I'm arresting them for that. And right. so anyway, <laughs> so that was several years ago. And I've been telling people, you know, we can enforce state law. Uh, but, but now it has gotten so bad this year that uh, I'd go back to Article 4 of the U.S. Constitution. And you know, it says the federal government will guarantee the states a republic form, Republican form of government with a little r, meaning we elect our representatives, and uh, also that they'll be secured from invasion. Yes. Well, I don't know that there is a specific number that constitutes an invasion, but it's got to be something less than two million people like came across illegally. And if you go back to the early in the 1900s, the president was Woodrow Wilson. There were maybe 40, 50 Pancho Villas guys came across around New Mexico and killed some people, uh, not near as many as the hundreds that fentanyl has killed, um, maybe thousands. But anyway, just over that, Woodrow Wilson sent General Pershing into Mexico with United States troops to chase them down and stop them coming across our border. Uh, drug cartels basically run Mexico. Uh, they are involved at every level of government. And so we should be enforcing the law. And if the federal government is not, which they have not this year, stop the invasion. We have every right to self-defense to stop it ourselves. And I would have filed suits long ago to establish that fact. The Supreme Court needs to deal with that issue since when they came out with their Arizona issue, the indications were the federal government was trying to, to enforce the law. Okay, I want to, on the attorney general's job, though, it's an interesting thing. I think that you can picture the attorney general job at, at, at a state level 
in a kind of normal time politically, and the attorney general waits till a case comes up and might and, or might weigh in. But I, relevant to my introductory remarks, I want to hear, and you're saying things along those lines, but an attorney general, for example, should be speaking up about the transgender yes. issue. You shouldn't even have to ask their opinion to right. weigh in and say, isn't this child abuse? Do, but I mean, do you agree that they should be more, that the attorney general role at this time needs to be aggressive and, and acting without being asked in terms of at least issuing opinions? Yeah, and, and I alluded, I agree totally, Debbie. Um, and in fact, uh, that's one of the things that I've been saying, and I deeply regretted we did not have an attorney general that would go to the governor when the governor got ready to change laws regarding early voting, that kind of thing, by other than the state legislature, which is what the U.S. Constitution requires. And that you wouldn't have to make broad pronouncements. You go to your friend in the governor's office and say, look, I understand you're thinking about changing some election law other than by the uh, other than by the legislature like constitution requires so i'm i'm just as a friend letting you know that's unconstitutional and the better thing to do would be to call a special session push through you've got the bully pul pulpit push through what you want done and then let the legislature do it because if you don't do that I'm going to have to go to court. I'm going to have to make a big deal out of you violating the Constitution. I don't want to do that. And if he'd done that, I don't think there would have been the problem. And that's there's a number of things like that that should have been stopped. That, that's a great topic. Let's including the mandates on, in April of, of 2020. You go, look, here's the problem with this. You ought to be The governor's proactive. mandates. You're talking about the governor's mandates. Yes, the gover mandate. governor's yeah. mandates. Yeah. You're going to shut people from going to church, shut them down. You know, as uh, some of the Supreme Court justices have said, uh, you know, just because there's an emergency or a pandemic doesn't mean the Constitution loses all its power. That was one thing I was going to ask about, and I'm glad you raised it. This idea, I know in Texas, people were very upset and concerned when, even when COVID was more alarming than it is now in 2020, and the governor acted in a way that many people were at least unhappy about, and, and many viewed as to be outside the, his, his job description or not, that he wasn't justified doing. Did the attorney general actually have a role, should have been assertively, affirmatively telling the governor not to do this? We're talking about Texas citizens' rights. Yes. And that means the attorney general has a very critical role. He's got to be proactive in stopping wrongdoing and encouraging right activity. And he could do it. And, and I deeply regret it hasn't been. I, and I, I voted for our current AG uh, the first two times he ran. And, you know, the indictment about the 20,000 kickback over stocks. Yeah, over. SEC. Okay, that's a civil issue, really. More that, but what's gone on uh, more recently is extremely problematic. And um, by the way, if a uh, an attorney general is indicted after the primary, and some of us think there's a good chance that will happen because the investigation, despite what they're saying, is ongoing. You can't replace the candidate on that's the guidance from the legal researchers for the state Senate. They say you cannot replace somebody 
for being indicted afterwards. And our current attorney general, he won first time between 58, 59 percent. And then in 2018, by then, people were seeing things they didn't like, and he dropped to 50.6. I'd been thinking before I announced, he probably won as big as the governor or the lieutenant governor, but he dropped just barely over 50%. And I'm very concerned he won't be able to beat the Democrat, and especially not if indicted. When your seven top people send a letter to the FBI saying, our boss is engaged in bribery, corruption, abuse of office. We got serious problems. And obviously that's been a distraction to keep a good guy that we voted for twice uh, from doing the kind of proactive things that needed to be done. Actually, that was to be my last topic, but since we're going there, let's go there right now. So there was a, um, I don't know how many of our audience or listeners or voters in Texas are aware that there has been, uh, there is discussion unrelated to the previous legal issues, right. uh, which were both unrelated. agreeing, which were, uh, should not have been the subject of the criminal prosecution they were, that there was, it was right. an overreaction and kind of almost an attempt to get him. Yeah, where was. we are now, so we're at the end of 2021, moving in 2022, and there's concern. And I agree, I think that was politically motivated back previously. Oh, the previous That's why SEC. I went ahead and voted for him. Yep. So, but the current issue, because I think voters aren't familiar with it, and I wanted to just ask you about the, what I understand about that situation that people are saying there may be an indictment of our current attorney general after he wins the primary. And so that one issue is if, if he were to win the primary and be the GOP candidate for AG and then be indicted, uh, he wouldn't. I mean, that doesn't force you to step down legally. It just get, puts a cloud over your campaign. Is that and accurate? That's very accurate. Okay. And, and uh, you can't force him to remove his name. Uh, you know, it's not, in fact, even if there was a quick trial and a conviction, you, you can't replace that name. Uh, you, it's possible to remove a name up till 74 days before an election, but you cannot replace it unless somebody's diagnosed with a terminal illness after the primary uh, or they're put into a position like John Ratcliffe was when Trump uh, nominated him and made him like DNI, yeah. uh, then in those two occasions only, you can replace a name, but not for being indicted or even convicted. But let's focus on this. So where we are in this race right now, this attorney general race, we have prior to this, this we're about to talk about more of this current concern about the attorney general. He's very popular with the grassroots. I know you're, he went down in the percentage of victory in the between mm -hmm. 2014 and 2018, but he's very popular with the grassroots. Um, and you, I would say you and here in the same park, the same element yeah. of the of the Republican Party. You're in the conservative wing. And so you're the conservatives. You and here, I mean, maybe vary in some issues. But then you have uh, within this primary uh, two other candidates who are, um, you know, one, one is, I'll just say the name, one's George P. Bush. And, you know, he's kind of the Bush last name, I think, is hurting him immensely. And I think all the polling I'm aware of, he can't get above 20% because people don't want any more Bushes. Plus, you say the word Alamo, and they're done with him. And then there's another person. Sorry, but that's the facts are. And then the other person. Uh, the land commissioner is so innocuous. I don't know how you okay. blow that with the Republican women. But anyway, anyway yeah. Anyway, what I want to get at is there's concern. I mean, you're getting in the race will cause some people who were otherwise 
uh, Ken Paxton supporters to come over to you. And so the, the question is, is it a serious enough concern? Is the evidence sufficient enough? I mean, there's rumors about alleged conduct and rumors about things that have occurred. There's no indictment. There's no uh, of him yet. So is it serious enough? Because what you'll be doing, in part, is splitting the conservative vote, which I think still Texas is made up mostly conservatives. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, how does that all play out in your mind? How do you arrive at the conclusion the best thing is to run when you know you, you and here in the same ballpark of the party? Well, and I appreciate that question very much because uh, the Paxson people, ever since I indicated that I was going to try to raise money to run, um, they have been putting out information from their spokespeople that, first of all, they were putting out that Carl Rove and, and the Bush family got me to run so it would throw the race to George P. Bush. Yeah. And as recent as two days ago, I was asked again, look, we're hearing from Paxton's people that, uh, you know, you were put up to this and they're raising money for you. Uh, and that's where you're getting your money is from the Bush supporters so that George P. can win. And I'm going, would you think about that? You try to find anything nice Carl Rove has ever said about me. Right. And, um, and you know, and I still like President George W. Bush, but um, they're, they've been very wrong on a lot of issues. Right. And so... Uh, it, does it make sense that Bush supporters would give me money to help me help George P. Bush get elected? No, you give it to George P. and let him just flood the airwaves with all kinds of stuff. So it's really ridiculous. There's only one reason I got in the race, and and we'll ha we'll have to have a report come out after the end of this year, just a couple of days, and uh, people will see. I don't have a bunch of George P. Bush supporters or George W. Bush supporters that are supporting me. They're supporting George P. Bush. And no, but Carl Rove, I haven't talked to him since I blasted him for uh, several months or a year ago for saying that uh, the Freedom Caucus has cost the country a lot of trouble. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so we have some extreme disagreements, but uh, it's, I'm the only one, it appeared from what polling I'd seen, uh, that could get in a runoff. And that would mean if I weren't in the race, he was still above 50%. Now, recent polling shows he's below that with Republicans. Um, so it would be me and him if there's a runoff. And I don't see a way that George P. Bush or uh, Eva, and, and I understand Governor Abbott's position he could see the writing, and I haven't talked to him. We both got elected to be district judges at the same time. We've been friends since then, but uh, I can understand his and, and Lieutenant Governor Patrick's concern. Uh, if you go back a year ago, they were saying, yeah, maybe Patrick won't, uh, I'm sorry, maybe Paxton won't run right. because of these issues and we don't have to worry. Well, he's running. And he's putting the, the state at risk. And there's one reason I am risking my entire future career. Because if, if I lose, I, even if I win, I probably wouldn't run for anything but maybe one more term as AG. But I'm putting all of that at risk to try to help save the state. Because 
He hasn't gone after election fraud. He hasn't been pushing the legislature to fix our election laws. And there's so much that has to be done. I'm running to try to save Texas so we can save the United States. That's the sole reason I'm running. Oh, and I heard one other yesterday. Well, a Paxton supporter said that they're being told, I'm only running for AG so I can have a comparable salary to what I'm making now in Congress. I have never looked at what the AG was making, but a few years ago, I was aware the governor doesn't make anywhere near what I make. If I were, I win with around three-fourths of the vote in my congressional district. If I need that salary and I'm so desperate for a same salary, why wouldn't I keep my seat? This is just stupid. But this is the, oh, and then today, uh, the Paxton spokesperson put out a, uh, uh, I don't know if it's a tweet, I saw what was said, saying that I voted against constitutional carry and that's not going to work in Texas. Debbie, the reason I won with three-fourths of the vote in, in my years of running in Congress, they know me. And they know if the, I vote against something, there is a really good reason. And I guess what they're talking about is there was a two bills. One was going to allow one constitutional carry. They're wrong about that. It was uh, reciprocity among the states, and the NRA had been pushing hard for that. And they had pushed so hard for it, they were willing to agree that a bill that Cornyn and a liberal Democrat, I think it was Chris Murphy, but they put together additional requirements for background and 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 all. Mm. And they were two separate bills. And in the House, very cleverly, they put a rule in place. We're going to vote yeah. on these as one vote. And so it's going to make it harder to get a gun. But there's also reciprocity. And Cornyn and Murphy made very clear that if the House passes that, we'll take out the reciprocity in the Senate and only vote for the harder requirements to get a gun. Well... I voted against that. You betcha. I want reciprocity. We need reciprocity, but not when it's a, when the NRA made hay about, look, we got reciprocity. No, you didn't. You got it harder, a law passed harder to get a gun. So I guess that's what they're talking about. But I, I hope that as people see more lies come out, it's really, it's really a compliment to me that they're attacking me with lies like they have been. Uh, they're not attacking George P. Bush. They're not attacking Eva Guzman. They're both nice people. Uh, they're attacking me, so I know that means they're scared of me. Right. You're over targets. You're taking fire. Okay, I do want That's to say right. one thing about you and Congress. I want to go back, though, to this issue with Ken Paxton, and then I have other things to get to. Okay. But the one thing about you and Congress, I will tell you, which I love sharing with people, one reason people so valued your presence in Congress, Republicans and conservatives, is because these big bills come along and, you know, they're often uh, last minute, lengthy bills and people trust you. They come to you to find out what's really in the bill. I've heard this from more than one person that either you read them or your staff reads them. And so you are not just the wait for the lobbyists. The important you ones I read. Personally. Yeah, the important ones you Even read. Even the 2,500 pages like the Obamacare bill. I but, read it. 
but I mean, it's a real compliment to your serious commitment to the idea of lawmaking, that you're not just waiting for the lobbyists to weigh in. Well, my three biggest donors said, you read them. And that is just a character um, trait I love. But okay, so back to this. I want to make sure people, I'm sorry if it's a bit repetitive, but to be sure people understand this, the concern about the incumbent attorney general is that once, if he were to win the primary and be the GOP candidate, if he were to be indicted, then he's, he, then he, the cloud is over his head, but even if he dropped out or whatever else, we can't get another candidate in there. And so then the issue becomes how I don't know if we need to go through the tawdry details, but you have serious concern, not just rumors you've heard, but serious reason to believe he may be indicted based on conduct unrelated to the previous issues. Let me say this. I've talked to witnesses in the case, and the FBI is still talking to witnesses in the case. Okay. So this stuff about, oh, no, there's nothing going to happen. No. Uh, the FBI, if you ask them, their official line is always, we can't comment. But when they're still talking to witnesses and they've got FBI and AUSA attorneys working on it, yes, it's not dead. Now, the DOJ, understand, I've got serious problems with them. I've got serious problems with Christopher Ray as head of the uh, FBI. In fact, I... I I wish President Bush had asked me about that. You know, some people get mad at him about tweets, but his tweets weren't his problem. He allowed people around him. He endorsed and, and hired people who hurt him. And that includes appointing Christopher Ray. I mean, if some people he's asked me about in advance, President Trump did. But with Ray, all of a sudden here he's appointed Christopher Ray, and I'm I wish you would have checked with me. He is on record telling James Comey that he wants to be anywhere Comey and Mueller are. They were his heroes. He should never been there. So uh, I've got serious problems with the current DOJ. They're way too political. They go even under President Trump. They were going after Republicans unfairly, two-tier justice system. But if they were apolitical they would have already had an indictment by now but they're political go ahead and indict they would have gone ahead and indicted paxton if they were going to uh now and not wait till after the primary when right. it creates such havoc with our republican party uh and would probably ensure a democrats elected but they will they're waiting they haven't they're still investigating they're still talking to witnesses um, so it is a serious matter. Are these charges that may occur with respect to Attorney General Paxson, aren't they charges that a state district attorney could also bring, or is it there's all federal charges? Well, the, that you would the reason that those seven top lawyers sent this letter to the FBI is because these are federal, the federal charges. Okay, okay. Now, it's possible that some of them could have been brought under state law but the ones being investigated are federal violations and you know uh, yeah okay let's talk about president trump for a minute one thing i have loved and knowing uh having known you over the years is that president trump um came to trust you i mean you you are yeah, allies and he said that at cpac that i helped him with some personnel issues yeah i would come and say you got people stabbing you in the back around you over here. Yeah. You and, need to get rid of. Yeah. And I couldn't agree more. That and I would give him names and, and you know, 
Yeah. He would eventually take action and it would help him out tremendously. Yeah. Well, President Trump is known for, in my view, uh, many unfortunate endorsements. I think he got involved in this race, Attorney General, endorsing Attorney General Paxton. And I think he did that assuming it was kind of a package deal. He's got he's got Governor Abbott. He's got Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. He's got Attorney General Ken Paxton. Nice little R lineup in Texas. And I'm I, he did all that before you announced. Uh, yeah, but I had talked to him last summer. I'd heard that he might endorse Paxton. I heard that he was talking to George P. Bush also. So I called him. He called me right back. And uh, I said, I hear you're thinking about endorsing in the AG's race. And we got serious problems that you're probably not aware of. Uh, and he said, yeah, you know, George P. Bush is calling, asking for endorsement. And you know, he's spoken very highly of me and, and all. Uh, I've seen in articles, he talks highly of me. Uh, and he said, but Paxton's calling me three or four times a week for weeks now asking for the endorsement. And I said, well, I'm thinking about running. Oh. I told him back then and I said, um, there's some serious issues and uh, there's some criminal allegations that are very serious and really could hurt. He said, yeah, he told me about that. There's a bunch of criminals stabbing him in the back, just like I had with my, uh, my situation in the White House. And I said, no, these are very different. These are seven top people and they're people of integrity. And it's a whole lot different than your situation. And he said, well, you know, it, it, he said he's already gotten word. They're not doing anything. And I said, well, he may have gotten that from the Austin DA, but the feds are still investigating. And I said, so I think you would do everybody a favor, including yourself, uh, if you just don't endorse in the AG's race. And he said, well, I appreciate the information. Anyway, we had a good visit and talked about some other things. But then he announced two or three weeks later that he was endorsing. So when I announced in November, okay, I, I feel I got to be in. I'll leave a safe, what I'm told is a safe seat. I never take anything Clearly for granted. Clearly safe seat, yes. Well, I never take anything for granted. But I'm risking any political future for myself to try to save Texas. Because if we lose Texas and we've got four Democrat-elected DAs in our biggest counties, and if there is nobody to make sure that lawlessness doesn't continue to grow in those democratic counties, then we're done. And so I announced if I can raise a million dollars, then I'll be in. And I, just a day or two later, I get a call from President Trump and he said, hey, I was told that you were definitely not running. Well, oh. it didn't come from me. The last thing I told him was I was thinking about it, but I know there was somebody calling three or four times a week asking for endorsement. Uh, so saying that I was definitely not running didn't come from me. And um, so he, I said, and, and I know Trump and I like him. And I think even with all the problems thrown in, being impeached twice for garbage allegations, right. 
And yet he still did, I think, he did more to help America than any president in my lifetime. It, even with all the odds like that against him, is amazing. And part of what I love about him is when he's committed to do something, he's going to do everything he can to do it. Yeah. But that also plays over when he endorses somebody. I don't know of him ever changing an endorsement. And that's why I said, look, you know, when he called, I said, well, I'd rather you not hurt me. I know you don't change endorsements. But anyway, he said, well, I don't want to hurt you, you know. But anyway, um, that's where we are with regard to that. And I feel strongly to my core that whether it's President Trump running for president in 24 or whether it's another Republican like my friend Ron DeSantis, we served in the House together, um, they're in danger of losing Texas, maybe not le and not legally, but but or legitimately. And I'm here to save Texas so we can save the union. Perfect segue. I want to go back to election fraud. I will tell you that this is if you I think if you took a poll of conservatives, uh, the top issues bothering everyone are failure to enforce the border, tyranny under covid and yep. travel restrictions, et cetera. And then the last one's election fraud. Th those are the top three issues, in mm. my view, that concern people right. on election fraud. The Texas legislature did pass a bill and and it had some good provisions in it. What I want to know is, do you think the Texas legislature should have gone further than they did and what they passed? Should they have addressed electronic election fraud? And if so, uh, is that something that the attorney general could have or should have weighed in on and the importance of addressing that? Yes, it sure is, because, uh, you know, we've got some people in the Court of Criminal Appeals. Uh, they came out with a decision recently uh, that um, our AG was touting as a reason he couldn't do more. Look, the legislature needs to do more. We need to remove some and vote out some of the Court of Criminal Appeals. I think that's the statewide office that fewer people know the names they vote for. Uh, but we've got to change some laws. And I've been talking to some state senators and legislators about exactly what I see needs to be done to help Texas and to stop the lawlessness uh, and actually would allow the AG to pursue election fraud uh, wherever it's found in the state. That and, and I've got to go back and look, but it seems like back in the 80s, there was a Democrat um, Speaker of the House that was being investigated. So they gave more of that power to district attorneys. But uh, regardless, I'll have to look back at that. But I do know some laws that need to be changed and how they need to be changed so that we can make sure that Texas has free and fair elections. And I'm getting good response from legislators about that. I think that is one of the jobs of an AG. Here's problems with the law. Here's what you need to fix. You know, I did learn uh, recently about the idea of the attorney general's office. I mean, you know, you and I have talked before yeah. about the great importance of the three branches of government and yep. they have distinctive roles. And, you know, that the attorney general's office is, you know, in the executive branch. It's an enforcer of the law. But I was asking in Texas to understand how much of a role can the attorney general play in shaping legislation and getting to the legislators. And it's not lobbying. Lobbying has a legal definition, right. but it is advocacy. 
And my sense, because of what I learned doing this show and interviewing people who delve deeply into election fraud, is that we have a massive problem nationally with electronic manipulation, with, with election fraud. And it seems and like... And early votes, yeah. Yes. And it seems like if you care about that and you understand you don't have the America the Constitution contemplates if you don't have elections that are right. fair. It has to be a top priority exactly. issue. Yeah, and, and the idea that you would could put it as a second, third, or fourth issue or not want to press it, and I will tell you specifically as to your uh, Carl Rove, your, um, your uh, not buddy, Carl Rove, <laughs> during the legislative session, I was trying to push, and I made calls to many key people saying, you need to address electronic election fraud. And the answer coming back was Karl Rove and that wing of the party do not want any state legislators to address that because it gives credence to President Trump's complaints about the last election. Have you, are you familiar with that at all? Yeah, I, I'd heard the same thing, not directly, uh, but that has got to be fixed. Uh, and, and, you know, in your wonderful monologue, starting off talking about the role of voters, yeah, you know, as a Christian, I hear other Christians say, well, but our role, you know, is not so much about government. It's about reaching out and ministering and spreading the good news. But when Jesus said, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's, yes. uh, there is a responsibility to our government. And I think we've been blessed by God more than any other nation in world history, even Amen. more even more than Solomon's Israel, because the people did not have the individual opportunities, the individual assets uh, that they have uh, here in America, uh, where you can really be anybody. I mean, you can be a troublemaker as a kid and end up being president. Look at Bill Clinton. I mean, but anyway. Troublemaker is a nice word, but go I think, ahead. Yeah. I think Bill Clinton was a testimonial for how amazing America yeah. is. Look how far he got. But that is that door is closing unless we get back to responsibility. And I think especially Christians, have, but all citizens have an obligation. If you're going to keep a rep. A Republican form of government, which is it's a representative form of government, because after the Greeks, especially Athens, you know, they had a real democracy where everybody voted on everything. But they realized finally, uh oh, having everybody vote on juries is too many. So they cut that back to 501 people on the jury. But later, the Romans are looking back what the Greeks did wrong and they realize, you know what, we need to let the people elect representatives and then let those representatives make decisions without everybody voting. So there's a responsibility that people have that is just like if they had their own business and they were going to say they had a trillion dollar business. Who of these people would you want handling your trillion dollar business? And you would look at resumes, you would look at interviews, you would do all kinds of things to make sure that you got the right person in charge. Now, I went to high school with some people in East Texas that said, you know, I don't care what the government does as long as they stay out of my business. Right. Well, what they have found, and they're now saying, 
wow, I didn't care what the government did, now they're all in my business. Yep. Well, that's why it's important to care what the government does because they're your representatives and some need to be fired. What do you think about the issue about uh, the Texas Medical Board over the last couple of years, changing topics, has had uh, been seen to be very aggressive in addressing doctors in Texas who are prescribing legal medications, long available, yep. uh, uh, safe, uh, and in fact, the patents had expired. They've like hydroxychloroquine yeah. and ivermectin, yeah. and they're still saying, oh, don't use that horse medicine, which shows how fraudulent they are because they know ivermectin uh, was created to help people with parasitic right. problems. And the two guys that invented it, that created it, won the Nobel Peace Prize. Yes, it's now used for horses and other animals, but it was created for people to help them, and it's made a real difference. But, Debbie, about that, uh, early on, I was talking to uh, doctors in Tyler, and they said, we get... Got a note from the pharmacy board that we're not to prescribe these hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin. We're not yes, supposed to to prescribe these. And I'm going, they're practicing medicine without a license. They're, they're about pharmacies. Unless they're a licensed physician in Texas, I would have had to call called the, the pharmacy board out on that. You don't have any right to practice medicine without a license and tell a doctor what's best for his patient when you haven't seen the patient. And I think it also applies to the federal government. And they are doing that. And it's one of the problems with Fauci. Uh, he's running around committing malpractice left and right. Now, as far as the big pharma is concerned, he's made billions more for them than they've ever even dreamed of making. But Nobody has a right to practice medicine on somebody that doesn't even know the patient, doesn't even, has never communicated with them. Love that. And uh, yes, and so the pharmacy board is one, the medical board. I would have had to go after the pharmacy board, and I didn't see the decree of the medical board, but if they are, are dictating uh, prescriptions about people they don't know, then they have to be stopped. I would yeah. have gone in and gotten an injunction. Well, they're going after doctors. First, I would have contacted them directly. Yeah. Said, you need to either fix this or we're going to be in court together. Yeah. I see on the medical board, part of what was occurring was doctors trying to prescribe these medications that we're talking yeah. about were being called before the medical board, questioned, their license threatened. And I, I know personally, Four yeah. doctors to whom this occurred, and the answer, it seemed the easiest way to comply with them and say, okay, I promise I, I will never prescribe again hydroxychloroquine, yeah. ivermectin, budesonide for COVID patients, but the doctors were saying, but, but it's working. And yes. so I wonder, as an attorney general, isn't that something you could at least encourage the legislature to look at? Could you, would you yes. have a, yeah, I mean, would have you be a fighter in that? Absolutely. It has to be something you look at. Debbie, when you look uh, at the United States, normally we think, wow, the United States, maybe the most advanced country in the world history. But then you look at the death rate from COVID in, in the United States, and we are so much higher than any other country in the world. Uh, we have a great ability to take care of a pandemic. Uh, and President Trump 
took bold, quick, decisive actions, thank God. But why are we so much higher than, say, some states in India or countries in Africa that, for example, you know, their people take hydroxychloroquine. In fact, President Trump told me uh, a good while back, but uh, he said, you know, I made a mistake on, on hydroxychloroquine. He said, early on, I should have had a big press conference and said, look, whatever else you do, don't take hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> and then everybody would have been taking it and Fauci yeah. would have said it's a great idea. And then we would have saved a lot of lives. Yeah. Um, I, I do think a difference in how President Trump handled. And he usually says those things without even smiling. Yeah. He, and so if you don't know sarcasm or irony, you, you know, left us yeah, sure. go. He was serious about it. No, yeah. he was making a joke. Yeah. And it's funny. I think a big and important difference in the way that uh, President Trump handled um, COVID and all the issues that arose out yeah. of it as compared with um, the current occupant of the White House um, is that there were not mandates coming out of, and maybe Dr. Fauci tried to sound as though things should be mandates, but mm -hmm. Trump wasn't doing the mandates, which I think is a huge issue between yes. conservatives and, and, and Marxists who, are, who really are on the left. They're just, they're going to decide for you and do mandates. And so Trump, he did push the vaccines, but it was not with a mandate and we're going right. to force you to stay home. Okay. Two other issues. I I lure Thank these you. people in and the audience here. Thanks for making that point. Yes. I lure the people in the audience here pretending that they're going to have a chance to ask questions. But then I filled all the time. No, not really. I have two more questions. But if you do have a question, someone has a microphone. I don't know who has it. Um, Eric has it? No. Someone has it. Okay. And so uh, I have two more quick questions. If you have a question, uh, you can pass the microphone around and then just get it really close to your mouth because it has to get picked up by the people back here so the audience can hear. But one more. Sorry. Two more quick things. One is... There's endless talk about China purchasing agricultural land in Texas and all over the country. And I mean, as long as you're here and you're, if you are attorney general, you can fix everything. What is it you're going to do? <laughs> but seriously, what, do you, what if anything should be done? Is there a potential? Is it would it be permissible just to say China cannot buy land in Texas or is that just? Well, actually, you, are you aware I have a bill about that? No. Oh, okay. I Sorry. thought maybe, yeah. No, I have a bill. You asked the question. Uh, and I don't want discrimination. I'm not xenophobic. I, I'm thrilled that people from all over the world want to come here. But when you're putting our national security at risk, yes. and it's clear, as with the Chinese Communist Party, that they are extremely aggressive in trying to create problems for us and make themselves the one superpower, right. not any question about that, uh, then we have to protect ourselves. And so I had a bill because of the, the land grab by foreigners that we need a temporary moratorium on uh, people from other countries, especially the Chinese Communist Party, people that are part of that, buying land until just a moratorium, let's say, hold up for a bit until we have a chance to see what needs to be done, investigate the kind of purchases that have gone on. Are they a subterfuge 
to prevent us from being able to feed ourselves, take care of ourselves. And if not, then we could lift the moratorium and move forward. But we need a temporary hold before they buy too much of the land we need to feed Americans. Love that. Did not know about that, Bill. I like it. Okay, I'm going to hold off my last and, question. And by the way, uh, okay, I won't be in Congress when we hopefully have the majority a year from now or uh, in January of next year. Yeah. But I've already got people that want to file that and pursue it a year from now. So. Good. Good. I love that idea. And, and one other thing, I, I wrestled with Congress without me standing up to my own party and saying this is wrong. Uh, and what I saw and what I've seen from the election November of, of, of uh, 2020, usually if we get two or three stand-up people, that's a big year. We got over a dozen yeah. people that are dear friends. In fact, President Trump called me last January before he left the White House. And he said, I'm here in the Oval Office and uh, I got a bunch of freshmen in here. And I asked them who was their inspiration in Congress. And they all said you. And I said, well, let's call him. And so anyway, these are stand up people yeah. and they're still going to be able to call me like they do now and say, what do you think about this? Have you ever tried that? And I will give them whatever time they need. Uh, you know, some people in Congress say, you've got the institutional memory that most of us don't have. Um, I may forget to take out the trash, but I can remember stuff <laughs> that, that's gone on and who said what and why this got passed. So, uh, so that was part of the analysis. And what came back to me was, and I'll pray about these things, you know what? You've got people that say you inspired them and they're there and they're strong and they're still going to call you. And uh, so I think we'd be all right there. I was more concerned about losing Texas. Great note to turn to our audience. And um, Louie, um, question. Is there a law that you can't change your endorsement? If President Trump really wants to save America, can he not get out on there and say, endorse Louie Gohmert, endorse <laughs> Alan West? I mean, can he not do this? Uh, no, he could. There is no law that says you can't change an endorsement. Some people have before. But as I said earlier, one of the things that I like about President Trump is, you know, when he makes a decision, he doesn't back off. And I also like that he's very competitive and he wants to show results. But if you look, so he could change. But I know the man and... <laughs> I know this may sound, I love the guy and and I appreciate him, but I also know him well enough to know when he makes an endorsement, he is, I'm not aware of him ever changing it. And that's why I ask, well, just I'd ask you not to hurt me since you made the endorsement thinking I was definitely not running. Um, but he keeps track of how many people, I mean, how many he's endorsed, how many of those he endorsed that won? And he's got a huge track record on that. Uh, it's not 100%, uh, and hopefully that'll be the case this time. But uh, he will be far better off 
with me winning than any other scenario. And so um, I actually have to run and get elected to protect him from a bad endorsement. <laughs> okay. Question. Go right ahead. Congressman, first of all, what experiences by serving in the United States Congress do you think adds a unique perspective or strengthens your candidacy for the Attorney General of Texas? And, and I appreciate that question. It's a great question. And when I started looking at it, and I never thought about being AG uh, until this year, but as I look back, I mean, I've been a prosecutor, assistant DA. I've had to do some defense work, but mainly during my 10 years as a civil litigator, uh, I tried civil cases. Uh, I also got court appointed to appeal a capital murder conviction. And when I got into the thousands of pages of record, I, I do a good job on briefs and on appeals and things. And, and I actually won that case because the man did not get due process. I totally support the death penalty, but we have got to make sure there's due process. And then my years on the bench trying civil and felony cases. Uh, and in fact, you know, people don't know. Many people say, oh, I heard something about that case. There was a case in Dangerfield where there were thousands of plaintiffs and hundreds of defendants. And Texas Monthly made it a cover case, a story about the lawsuit from hell. They had been through several judges and so I got asked, and I was told, Supreme Court's hoping you'll take this. Uh, it's not in your district, but we need you to, you organize you. And all of my judge friends said, are you crazy? They have humiliated every judge that's taken this case. It's not in your district. You got nothing to gain by this. And I said, well, somebody's got to do it. We can't keep letting it gone on for 11 years. Oh. And so I allowed them to appoint me to take over the case outside my county. And within two years, the whole thing was gone. Uh, and I was pushing them because I, having tried so many cases, I knew this is how they'll try to delay the case further. This is what they'll do. And I would stop them at every turn because I did a decent job as a litigator. And then, so those years on the bench, and then uh, as a, I got a taste of the appellate court as the Chief Justice of the Court of Appeals. And then to your question about Congress, I, I could have been one of the most experienced attorneys general back before I ever ran for Congress, if I thought that was my calling. But now that I've been in Congress and I have fought over words and phrases ad nauseum uh, on some of our Judiciary Committee laws and crimes and civil litigation laws, uh, I'm more equipped now than I was when I went to Congress and being such a vital part of the Judiciary Committee. And yes, sometimes I had to stand up against Republicans with bad ideas. But I think that will make me a huge help to the legislature. When guys, you know, let me take a look at what you're thinking about passing so I can give you some ideas on it. And that's actually what I'm doing now, reaching out to legislators. Well, if I'm attorney general, this is what we need to do. And this would be great if you say this and that. So um, 
those years in Congress fighting battles. Uh, heck, there was one, <laughs> one hearing where I made amendments for four hours just by myself. Um, anyway, taking on my own party. And, anyway, uh, so yeah, I fought those battles and I think I'm even more equipped now than I would have been before Congress, much more. Uh, and I, I heard on Mark Davis's show, our Attorney General was talking about Eva and uh, George P. And, and he was saying, you know, they're not qualified. Well, I guess that's why they're making up stuff to attack me over because they know I'm more qualified than he was when he got elected Attorney General, even though I'd never been in-house counsel for J.C. Penney like he'd been. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I've okay. got a lot of qualifications. <laughs> you know what? I think we're, I'm trying to, it's funny. We have three different times on the clock here. So I'm going to look and tell you, I think, uh, yeah, we're, we're pretty much out of time. Um, I want to give you a quick chance to tell uh, our listeners and the audience, uh, if they're interested, what your campaign website is. I, I assume you have it up and yeah. so far, and so people can come find out where to learn more about you. Yeah, well, it's uh, gomert.net, not com, but G-O-H-M-E-R-T dot net. And, you know, I'm never going to raise 7 or $8 million like current AG has in the bank, but... I need to raise enough to uh, uh, to be able to combat some of the lies that are being hurled at me. And I think with the grassroots help, it's going to come out well. But I'm going to need people. So go to gomert.net. We'll need volunteers. We'll need uh, uh, contributions. And I'm sure I'll have a lot more grassroots support in the end. Uh, but that's what I know makes a difference, especially in Texas. Congressman Gomer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you. As I mentioned at the start of the show, this is our last show for 2021. And I want to thank every single one of you who are donors, supporters, listeners. I appreciate you very much. We're doing a big new change to our website coming up early in 2022. New membership uh, benefits and fun. Uh, a summit coming up in the fall of October. Uh, it's going to be in October of 2022. So we're rocking and rolling with the kind of things we do and some mini summits in the spring. So, you know, the show, if you uh, listen very often, you know, America Can We Talk is dedicated to preserving America. America. That's all I care about. I don't even really say it's dedicated to a political party or any candidate or any leader. It's dedicated to preserving America. And each of us has a huge role to play in our lives, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, in preserving America. And we need all hands on deck in 2022 because, as we've been saying, the left has control in Washington. It's very alarming control. We have serious issues facing America that will affect our long term, the future of freedom. The three we talk about quite often our COVID and the border and election fraud. Many other issues also impact whether America carries on our heritage of individual liberty and freedom under God. And it's the, the job of every patriot, every generation to stand up and defend America. In the new year, that we're back full-time next week, starting Monday, January 3rd, uh, with regular shows. The, a week from today, our show on January 6th will feature one of the national experts on COVID, Dr. Brian Artis. He happened to be based here in Dallas. Uh, the stories he tell you 
you, hotels will keep you awake at night, but still it's good to hear them, good to understand uh, what can be done about COVID and what is occurring uh, with respect to control of the medical community out of Washington and even out of the Texas State Board. So with that, I wish everyone listening a happy new year, a safe and happy new year. And thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next year. America, can we talk truth about America? Can